One of the most controversial figures in South Africa's political history was Winnie Mandela, the wife of our late president, Nelson Mandela, and to many, the mother of the nation. Today, we speak to somebody who knew her really well, a former crime intelligence officer from the apartheid era who met her after the transition. Welcome, Dr. Pretorius. Thank you for the opportunity to tell the truth about Mama Winnie. How long did you know her for? No, for, well, it all depends on what date is the date that you're going to, today or not today, uh, recently will be 25 years. I met her uh, uh, towards the end of, of, of uh, the 90s. Were you too close? Very close. Um, as a matter of fact, to just illustrate you that how close we were, she wrote to me, she phoned me one day out of the blue about after four months that we haven't spoken to his hours she asked me to come over to her place, which I did, and then she handed over me uh, the book um, uh, 419, uh, 419 days, and she wrote in the book to my dear son, Doc, from the first day we met, I knew I met the son I never had. Enjoy the reading about our painful past, God bless and all my love. Mama Winnie Mandela, 8-8-2013. I think that is quite itself. Indeed. Was there a big difference between her public persona and her private persona? Absolutely. Uh, I think with any politician, when they go into public, uh, they they put up a mask. Um, It is like also like uh, uh, a rock star. It's a different person at home and it's a different person on stage. So she's got a stage personality. And uh, she differentiated between that, uh, uh, obviously. What was she really like? She was definitely not a racist, as what a lot of people would think. Um, obviously, the media had to portray her in a certain way. And I think with discussions and uh, with my interaction with her, it was very clear that uh, the perception and the, and the image that, uh, uh, that people might have formed about her is not the same as when you met with her. Now, you and her shared an interest in the triad of organized crime, intelligence assets, and corruption. How did that come about? Well, uh, we were introduced. There was a structure that introduced us um, that was involved with with, uh, um, uh, uh, investigating organized crime. And she indicated to them that she'd like to in, uh, she liked somebody to help her, and in, I was introduced uh, to her as a result. What help did she want? Well, I think one of the things uh, uh, that she might have identified, and I'm I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure because you know it grows. You don't ask people why you want to meet and why you want to do and on why you become the son of somebody. But one of the things that was very important for her, I was always speaking the truth to her. So it doesn't matter how dark my past was, I was also telling her exactly what we did and how we did. And it was so from both sides because um, liberation movements became involved with with crime. And I knew about the rumors around her. And and obviously she she knew quite a lot. If there was a case in transit, I still didn't know exactly who was it. And what for me, what was quite important over time, and now looking back at that relationship, is that um, uh, how 
police deliberately uh, don't uh, point out that some of these criminals that's involved with hideous crimes are actually ex-liberation movement operatives. So what did Winnie want done? See, uh, obviously uh, uh, for her, it was an attempt to to, to start and clean out the the, the, pro, the criminal networks that was not part of these structures because what she identified was a lot of the criminals that that all of a sudden came back into the ANC was not people that she knew and it's obviously those people um, received protection from from the police and from intelligence structures which means they most probably was a uh, 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 intelligence assets were, was uh, deployed within the ANC uh, to act as, as, as uh, sources of information. And why was he so concerned about those networks? Because it will destroy the ANC. And that if what you see today is a culmination of what she already saw t- 25 years ago. If one look at, at, at um, um, uh, uh, the situation of, of, of today of, of, of lawlessness, Lawlessness is a direct result of, 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 of uh, the situation in terms of what causes lawlessness. Um, and because of the protection of criminals in the ANC by securitization operato, we're sitting with a problem of lawlessness today. How were those networks established 40 years ago? Well, it was long before 1990, what I can tell you was that, for example, what we discovered was the Greek Mafia, the Portuguese Mafia, the Italian Mafia, the Triad, um, the Indian Mafia, um, all of them worked very closely uh, as intelligence assets, uh, key uh, positions within that Mafia structures. It's very, very deeply rooted uh, uh, with securitization structures in South Africa. And I think what happened was, of, of, no, I think I know after 9-11, those structures was react, reactivated and used uh, for um, the 2010 Soccer World Cup. I became part of a counterintelligence operations from 2010 to 2016, managing um, the securitization structures behind the scenes. Can you just briefly tell us how the apartheid government used uh, organized crime to inform on the ANC? Oh, very all, all, all the leading players were, were, were involved with it. For example, if one needs to differentiate and why it's very important to be able to understand these things, if one wants to develop a, um, a solid uh, processes going forward, it's for example, your Mandrax um, was usually Indian mafia, as you will well known, involved with, with that drugs smuggling. And, um, and the whole structure of, of, of that was involved with securitization structures. The other one was the, uh, the cocaine industry. The cocaine industry is run by the, uh, by, by the Greek mafia. And they're very, very closely associated with the securitization structures as well, up to today. There's not one operation against mafia structures in South Africa today. So are you saying that, that criminal organizations are allowed to operate with impunity because they are informers for yes. the government. Well, securitization by nature is was formed and it's only for what became established a theory uh, towards uh, the end of 1990s. And it was uh, referred to as those state apparatus 
that was created to fight so-called terrorism. Uh, well, we can debate on that issue as well. One person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter. The bottom line is, is that um, securitization identified that as a common denominator to, to, to look at terrorist groups. And it was a highly effective structure that was used uh, during 2010. So they got a lease on life, a second lease of life. After 2016, we managed it until 2016. From 27, you can look at South African crime statistics when there was no operation mitigating these structures. From 27 to now, it just escalated out of out through the roof. So why do our intelligence structures from both governments have to rely on criminal organizations to get their intelligence? If you research terrorism in its well research, um, I was actually one of the first people who presented the paper in 2010 on the unholy trinity, and that is the interrelationship between transnational organized crime, criminal um, uh, um, uh, terrorist groups, and, and corruption. So that is the unholy trinity, and that unholy trinity is protected by securitization structures. And that was what Winnie Mandela was afraid would destroy the ANC. She knew how big it was in the ANC. Now, if you look then at how many of those criminal networks are receiving protection from the state now, it is just mind-boggling that we still were able to to survive, uh, just so the resilience of a country. But I, I was informed uh, uh, um, confidentially that there's currently no operation to the networks that is behind these structures. But if you want to look at, it's very interesting, there was a recent uh, a big heist on, um, or not heist, a, a, a big raid on, on, on a Mandrax factory. 150 million rands worth of drugs find, found at that factory. But there's no kingpin. There's nobody. It's just the two people that were... Now, we must be logic and honest with each other. It's obvious that, that people get protection. And then the same can say with a, the with a cocaine um, bus that took place. You remember the, the ski boat with 300 million or 300 kilograms of cocaine. See, guys, and there's not one person who was arrested who was sitting behind it. So yes, I think what happened was in the underworld because I know uh, I've got are very well connected in the underworld, and some of them um, uh, like to speak about the, the red telephone. Now the red telephone is the one is getting your get, get out of jail free ticket. So in the underworld, it's quite important for them to be able to pick up the phone and say, "Listen, you know, leave me alone." And uh, obviously, there's a lot of people. You will be surprised of how many known criminal elements in South Africa reports directly back to uh, the formal structures. Now, you have written a book titled Winnie Mandela's Last Wish. What was that last wish? The last wish was, well, basically, the, the talk was about uh, what is going to happen. Um, will something happen uh, if something happened? Because she was well, she was not well the last couple of, of, of... And the photograph of me with her on the back of a book uh, was in her bedroom three months before she passed. And we were supposed to meet as well in that, uh, in that period, period. But for her, it was... Uh, I think she received some comfort when I told her I finally understood what is happening in this country and I will be able to mitigate these... Uh, uh, networks um, uh, going forward and uh, that gave her a little bit of, of, of I think uh, peace of mind. Her worst fears have they not begun to 
to come true now? Well, I think understanding the issues is quite important in this process. I think what one needs to understand that um, in the in South Africa, the political and economic elite will be um, uh, looking after their interests. It's obvious every country in the world uh, do that. So for us in South Africa, what is the objective? Uh, where are we going for? We know all these things that we were planning and strategizing from 2011, 2012 already. Um, what is the problems? How is it going to evolve, etc. So we we already um, take into consideration those things. But I think what happened now was that uh, everybody is squeezing everybody in the process because it's about resources at the end of the day. And um, and asking and answering your question in that is that I, I'm afraid that what is going on now is uh, uh, with a current leadership from both business and from uh, INC, one needs to be very clear, clear about it because uh, the politicians has been deployed by business to represent their interests. So if you want to tell it, say it's captured, you can say it's captured, I don't know. But the thing is, is that they do have a lot of influence. After the resignation of... Uh, uh, President uh, Ramaphosa, who was the people convincing him to stay on? There was serious behind the scene um, uh, uh, um, influences happening. So tell me, did Winnie ever confide in you about uh, what Nelson Mandela knew about who in the ANC had spied for the apartheid government? I know for a fact that um, that he received the list from this. And the person who draw bad list is a friend of mine. So I'm not going to reveal who and not and so on. And he didn't also reveal to me who was and who wasn't. What I do know was that Mama told me that on their first NEC meeting, Nelson stood up as the president and he told everybody at the NEC meeting, I've got a dossier on each and every one of you. I think that explained so um, Madiba knew who in the ANC had spied for the apartheid government. Yes, I, I, I'm pretty sure he knew because of, of the person, um, uh, it, the, the dossier was handed over to him. Uh, that person is dead now, handed it over to him. And, um, but one must understand that he had a very reconciliated uh, um, approach after 1990 uh, when the unbanning happened. And um, and he to even told Mama when he listen yeah, if you're not gonna stop this this things um, I'm I'll, I'll have to divorce you um, because that was the deal is that he will manage her and he couldn't manage her. She was actually behind the scenes. She told me about funny things that they did before speeches and so on, <laughs> changing the script and so on. What did he want her to stop doing? She was perceived as uncontrollable, reckless. Um, and uh, and she was a bit of a fan of Chris Hani as well in terms of nationalization. Nationalization is a topic on its own, and that was a complete none. I think Professor Sam Peter Blanc wrote a very good book on it. So, um, what damaged her reputation uh, almost irreversibly in some quarters was the Stompy affair. What did she tell you about that in private? Obviously, she told me she was set up. We didn't go into the detail. And I met some journalists who discovered the person who was the main source of that 
um, uh, case. And he was, he's not staying in South Africa apparently, he's staying in London, if I'm not mistaken. And he's indicated that he was set up to, to, to set her up. So hopefully the person will do a documentary on that and then the record will be set straight. One cannot work no, with lies. Now tell me, uh, if Mama were alive today, what do you think she would have to say to South Africa? There was a couple of times that she wanted to introduce me to different people, of the live different leaders in the, the politics and e even in the economics now from within the ANC side. And, um, and obviously, uh, she would have taken a much stronger stance against uh, organized crime. Um, the problem is, is if you got if you uh, inequality before the law is only good for a certain period of time, and then it catching up with you. And I think that's what's happening to the current leadership. They cannot address this, and they try to do it themselves. You cannot sit in a glass house and start throwing stones. It's not going to work. You must get a person from outside to throw the stones. And that's what I, what I was doing, and that was my role with Mama Winnie. Do you think she would have stayed in the ANC? We had that discussions as well. Um, at one stage, uh, she wanted, because you know everybody know that uh, you know, she contributed to, to EFF, and she considered to say maybe the ANC is a little bit um, too corrupt to, to continue the process or to continue to support them. Uh, the thing is, it's not the corruption. It's the securitization elements within the ANC that runs the ANC contrary to the beliefs of and the ideology of the ANC. So yes, he did, we did discuss it, um, but I think she decided against it when I showed certain things, uh, documents and things to her regarding uh, some of the structures that she wanted me to introduce. So she realized that um, uh, most of the people, if not everybody, um, were compromised. And you know, you're talking you about have, the structures she could have joined or might have wanted to join. Are you talking about those now? Well, uh, the thing is, it doesn't matter where she turned. <laughs> and it's oh, all been okay. compromised. So uh, the thing is, this it's, it's really that bad. So you have to do, you have to start somewhere. And uh, that's one of the roles that I had was because I was an outsider, I was not, uh, and I was objective and I was honest. Uh, she wanted to use me to um, to mitigate, and we mitigate for for six years during the Zuma period. I think uh, what Z uh, Zuma was not supposed to stand the second term. Uh, Zuma actually she introduced me to Zuma when he was deputy president with uh, Tabum Beki. and do you remember the Cosa Nostra? Um, so uh, it was to get rid of the Cosa Nostra. So she introduced me to a pre deputy president Zuma. We went to his official residence. Um, in, in Pretoria, and I gave him a copy of the document which he then used to become president of the country. And he identified most of the people there because he was part of a process between 1980 and 1990. What last words do you have on her behalf today? I would say stop trying to, to be scared to do anything about what is wrong. Get out of the closet and start doing something to, to fix the problems in this country. It can be done. Uh, I, my suggestion is, you know, if I really start working today, it will take me two months to, to, to co collapse everything. But will, then there will be consequences for some people in the process. Now, those people are the people who is really um, uh, the, the noisemakers and the dealmakers behind the scenes. But you don't have to destroy them in the process. 
Um, so what I really want to do, and to the people outside there, is really, guys, uh, let's change this around. We know what's going on. We know everything that's going on in this country. We've been observing for six years uh, from the side. As a country, you will know, as a counterintelligence, you don't get involved. You just watch. And we're watching now. We watch with COVID. We watch with all these different things. We see who's the players, who's the people involved with framing, who's the people involved with securitization structures. We know everything. <laughs> so it is now a game of chess in this process. Where are you going to position yourself going forward? And please, come out. Let's work together. Because if we're not going to work together, people might uh, um, find out that uh, they're going to be get exposed. And it seems that there is people who want to do something. What are you busy with at the moment? I've got my own company. Uh, it's called uh, JP Management Consultants. And I develop... Uh, uh, law and order framework uh, to address the issue of lawlessness um, and uh, I identified local governments is the best way of introducing a strategy for lawlessness. So all local governments uses integrated development plans and my company developed for each municipality is different because the crime activities, everybody misses that if you want to look at this thing you must look at the crime activities and what crime activities is involved in a certain area or a certain municipality, and what, of, of, and that will indicate to you which illicit economic activities will be present in that, in, and then you can start addressing it. And it's deeply, deeply, deeply rooted. Some people will say, "No, um, we don't talk about liberation movements anymore. We talk about uh, anti-government forces." So it is deeply, 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 deeply rooted. And uh, that's you. what I address. I mitigate that. Thank you. That was Doc Pretorius, uh, a former crime intelligence officer who has written a book titled Winnie, Mandela Winnie Mandela's Last Wish. Thank you for sharing all that with us, Doc. Thanks, Chris. Have a nice day. <laughs>